What's up, everybody? <laughs> Guys, it's good to be with you. My name is Nick, as somebody just so wonderfully shouted. Betcha that was Colton. Sweet. Yeah, like he said, my name's Nick. If you guys want to go ahead and open up to Ephesians 4, that's where we'll be. If you guys don't have a Bible, we actually have some back on our table. You can sneak back and get some of those. Uh, you're going to need it. And so if you have an orange and gray Bible that we give out, we're going to be on page 664. Uh, so go ahead and turn there. Uh, guys, I brought a picture of myself and my wife on our wedding day. There we are. Yeah, yeah. Isn't she awesome? She's great. Um, we're approaching one year of marriage. We're on June 1st, it'll be our one year anniversary. And uh, that's been pretty sweet to be married for almost a year. And guys, just being around Sydney makes me better in so many ways. It makes me more godly. It honestly just makes me more fun. Jake's shaking his head, he knows, yeah. Um, and it makes me more responsible with my eating habits, okay? So let me explain that. Guys, what, what I passed off as a meal when I was single, you would not believe it. Yeah, dude, Isaiah, you know, half a bag of Doritos, that would cut it for me. Okay, half a bag of Doritos. Other times it would be like microwave tortilla chips with shredded cheese on top. And all with a side of like milk that's probably a week too far gone. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, there, there were freezer burned brats in, in the mix there. Just some awful things being passed off as meals. But the worst of them all, let me tell you, was this. So all I had left was some stale pretzels, okay? It's bad enough that I only had pretzels left. Like pretzels are the snack nobody wants. Like you pick them out of your Chex Mix, right? Uh, so I had stale pretzels and it's, if, it's not bad enough they were stale, but they were still salty and so I was getting thirsty. And the only other thing I had left were Jello packets. And so I was like, hmm, <laughs> let me think about this. So what I'm, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna fill up a pitcher of water and I'm gonna take this, this uh, Jello packet because you know, the, the, the packet of powder looks so much like Kool-Aid. So I'm just gonna dump a Jello packet into a pitcher of water and just pray that it tastes like Kool-Aid. It did not. <laughs> it did not taste like Kool-Aid. So I had stale pretzels and Jello water. That was one meal for me, it was great. But, and this, this is where I'm flimping and honest, today that would not fly, right? Like if I serve that to Sydney, oh boy we'd be in trouble. My eating habits have gotten so much better since meeting Sydney. And so this is kind of a silly example, but my new marriage relationship meant things had to change, right? My new marriage relationship meant things had to change. And guys, like I said, coming up on my one year wedding anniversary, the only day in my life that's been better than my wedding day is the day that I surrendered my life to Christ. That was my freshman year. Um, that was a few years ago now. And I was actually led to Christ by a guy named Aaron Kelly. And I'll never forget the first time. Or let me just tell you the story. So what happened is we were in the third floor of Ryder Hall. Some of you might've lived there before, yeah. So we were on the, in the third floor of Ryder Hall. It's where he lived. Um, and I was watching an Iowa Hawkeye basketball game against the Minnesota Golden Gophers. So yeah, Nils, shut up. <laughs> so... Iowa ended up losing the game. I was in a fit of rage the whole time because there, there was this guy named Adam Woodbury who was just sucking it up. He was so bad. I was get, being really hard on him and um, they lost the game. So I was in a fit of rage. And so Aaron Kelly looks me dead in the eye as they're about to lose this game. And he says this, I actually wrote it down because it's just crazy. Nick, that anger that you're directing towards a bunch of 18 to 22 year olds trying to put a ball through a hoop 
that anger's from Satan. <laughs> that anger, it, he was dead serious and so was I. I was like, oh my gosh. That anger, that anger is from Satan. If you don't do something about that, it'll kill you. And I'm like, oh goodness gracious. You're right. <laughs> he understood that now that I claimed Christ, that I was a follower of Jesus, now that that was my identity, that meant that my life had to change. Okay? My new relationship with Jesus meant that my life had to change. Jesus gives us life-changing commands. Why? Because he loves us. He's not trying to be a cosmic killjoy. He's not trying to rob us of anything that makes us happy. He does it because he loves us. That's why he gives us commands. And so when we begin to understand how relationship with God was made possible, like we've been talking all about in Ephesians 1 through 3, the only response we can have is, God, sign me up. My life should be changing. And not only should be changing, how could it not? Why would I not want it to change? God, you have spared nothing, not even your own life to save me. How could my life not change? Relationship demands change, and this is a good thing. Tonight, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4 is going to shift gears on us a little bit. We've been talking all about the gospel. We're gonna keep talking about the gospel. He's told us all about how God made a relationship with him possible, and now he's going to tell us, man, our lives, we should want them to change. And more specifically, he's gonna say, God has made every effort to unite himself to us, so we must make every effort to be united with each other. All right, so if you're not in Ephesians 4 by now, you should be, all right? So we're in Ephesians 4. I'm gonna read verses one through six. Here we go. Therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. All right, so the very first word we have in Ephesians 4 is therefore. And so every time we see the word therefore in the Bible, we need to ask, what is the therefore, therefore, right? All right. So Paul has laid the gospel out beautifully, like I said, in Ephesians 1 through 3. It's amazing. If you haven't read it, go back and read it. And he's prayed that the Ephesian church would be able to comprehend, and this is in chapter 3, he prays that the Ephesian church would be able to comprehend with all the saints, all the believers, what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love. Therefore, because of this comprehension of the length and width and height and depth of God's love, this new relationship with God, it should change us. Why wouldn't it change us? Why wouldn't it? And then the Apostle Paul says, live worthy of the calling you have received. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. And uh, as we read those two phrases there, I actually kind of want to camp out for a second and address something that might go on in our hearts as we read words like live or other words like effort, it might set something off in us. We begin to think that we can earn because of our effort. It's because you're American. It's because you live in a capitalistic culture. You live in an earning culture, a consumer culture. We think that we can earn based on our effort. And uh, if you guys want to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take so much heat for this. If you guys want to look up here, that's me. That's my little sister, Kyra. 
She's, uh, she's 15 now, but she's four months old in that photo. And this is when we, thank God for puberty, my goodness. This is, <laughs> this is when we adopted her at four months old. So she was um, the, daughter, the, the biological daughter of a 14-year-old mother and a 16-year-old father. And when the father found out that, that um, her mother was pregnant with Kyra, he fled the scene. And so the mother was by herself and she gave Kyra up for adoption, thank goodness. And um, so we traveled to Guatemala when I was nine years old. It's me as a little nine-year-old in a flannel and horrible glasses, yeah. Um, we traveled to Guatemala and we got to pick up my little sister and, and hold her for the first time. It was amazing. It was awesome. I still remember it really, really well. But I wanna ask a question of all of you. Do you think that that little girl had anything, had to do anything to earn my family's love? Did she have to do anything to earn my family's love? Did she have to make a way for herself into our family? Of course not. She's four months old. Like what, what could she do to, to work her way into our family? My parents did all the work, all the heavy lifting to adopt her and make a place for her in our family. They did all the work. They made a way. Okay, but now that little girl has grown up. She's like 15. Yeah, she's definitely 15. She's 15. And so now that she's grown up, she is expected to be an Anderson, right? Like she's expected to live like an Anderson. She's expected to have the marks of our family. And so my parents, they, as parents, they got to set a standard for what being an Anderson looks like. They get to say what our family will look like. Kyra and I weren't expected to live a certain way so that our parents would love us or welcome us into the family we lived a certain way because they already did love us and already made a way into the family. You following me here? And in the same way, we certainly don't live worthy so that God will love us, but because he already does love us. Salt Company, the gospel is not anti-effort, it is anti-earning. The gospel is not anti-effort, it is anti-earning. We just have to get the order right relationship comes first and then comes change. God has done all the heavy lifting. And now he gets to say what he wants to see. He gets to define the parameters of what his family is gonna look like. And so he says this, this is, this is the first thing the apostle Paul writes about and how our lives need to change in Ephesians. I urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received. Look like the family is what he's saying. What does a family look like? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. That's what we're gonna talk about the rest of this evening. Unity, unity. Why is unity so important? I, I think there's, there's three reasons why it's important. The first reason, God has fixed the vertical relationship between us and him. And now he so badly desires to want to fix the horizontal relationship between us and one another. Okay, so God has fixed the vertical relationship between us and him. Now he wants to fix the horizontal relationships between us and each other. God has made every effort to unite himself to us, so we must make every effort to be united to each other. That's the first reason. Second reason, God has wired you. Like, you're made this way. God has wired you to need other people. You can't do this life by yourself. If you guys remember Ernie's message last week, he talked about different kinds of trees, especially the redwoods. And so these redwood trees, their root systems are actually intertwined with one another where they support each other. So when bad weather conditions come, they don't topple over. You never see redwood trees by themselves uh, in a forest. They're always next to one another. Their root systems are intertwined with one another. And in the very same way, 
as Christians, our root system should be intertwined with one another in the family of God. So that's the second reason God has wired you to need other people. The third reason, a unified people, follow me on this one, a unified people with a unified purpose in spreading the gospel is an unbelievably powerful thing. A unified people with a unified purpose in spreading the gospel is an unbelievably powerful thing. This is God's plan A, there is no plan B. This is how he's gonna reach the world, is sending us as a united family to spread the gospel. And so we have this united family and we have so many things in common. If you guys look back at verse four, I'm gonna read this for us again. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. And so if you are in Christ, you have seven birthmarks, let's call them. If you're in Christ, you have seven birthmarks. So you have one body, meaning you have one family. You have one spirit, meaning you have one counselor and sanctifier that lives in you. You have one hope, meaning you have one future with God. You have one Lord, so you have one kind and just authority. You have one faith, meaning one belief in the gospel. You have one baptism, which is one symbol of hope and a changed life. And you have one God and Father, one loving caretaker. And all of these things, like I said, were just simply given to you. Seven birthmarks that you can't do anything about. If you've surrendered your life to Christ, these are things that are true of you. Okay? But what unity is Paul commanding us to keep? If you guys notice here, he says, keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. So what part do we have to play? It's actually important to, to notice that, that verb keep. When we read the Bible, oftentimes we wanna follow the verbs of the passage. And so Paul actually is giving us a recipe, like an ingredients list for unity as the family of God. And so if you, uh, if you leave salt or sugar out of your chocolate chip cookies, the whole batch is gonna come out awful. They are sure not gonna taste like chocolate chip cookies, right? Right, so in the very same way, if we leave one of these ingredients of unity out, man, step back and watch the family of God struggle. All right, so what are these ingredients? Well, it says right there in the passage, the first ingredient, humility. Okay, so the first ingredient of unity is humility. C.S. Lewis says this, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. Charles Spurgeon says this, humility is to make a right estimate of oneself. So these guys are both saying it's not about viewing yourselves as lesser than or crappy or, or anything other than being made in the image of God, but it's being less and less and less and less consumed with yourself. That's what humility is, being less and less and less and less consumed with yourself. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says this, do nothing Nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not only to the, his own needs, but also to the needs of others. So growing godly humility that leads to unity beca means becoming less and less and less concerned with yourself and more and more and more and more and more concerned with others. And guys, who was the, who was the one man that modeled this better than anybody else? Jesus. That's right. Back in Philippians 2 again, it says, although he was God, he did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself, assuming the form of a servant. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
man, talk about humility. So that's the first ingredient. Second ingredient of, of unity is gentleness. Gentleness, okay. So gentleness is the godly response and heart posture we have after either we suffer injustice or we watch another suffer some sort of injustice. So this is hard. Gentleness is hard. Like dealing with people gently is hard. But we, we appreciate receiving gentleness when we mess up, right? Something to think about. When we are wronged, we want vengeance and an answer. We think we, that we deserve an explanation for what went wrong. We get angry because we don't have control over other people, but we do have control over how we respond to whatever's happened to us. Am I going to deal with them harshly or am I going to deal with this gently? We think dealing harshly will get our point across more effectively when it actually has the opposite effect. When's the last time a conversation went well when you were yelling at somebody? I can't remember the last time. If we deal with our brothers and sisters in Christ harshly, then unity with them will suffer. But if we deal with our brothers and sisters in Christ gently, then unity with them will actually flourish. And I'm not asking you to let other people walk all over you. You actually shouldn't let that happen. But think about this. Ask yourself in those moments, how can I respond in such a way that is truthful, but shows this other person the grace Christ has shown me? Because the reality is God had every right to deal with us harshly, right? He had every right to deal with us harshly, but he didn't. He dealt harshly with his son, Jesus, so we wouldn't have to be dealt harshly with. And so we be gentle as Christ and God are gentle. So the third ingredient is patience. So patience is a deepening, ripening, peaceful willingness to wait on God and wait on other people. I'll read that again. Patience is a deepening, ripening, peaceful willingness to wait on God and on others. This is also so challenging because we live in America, you know? We want that job now. We want that, that person to change now. We want that answer to prayer now. We want it now. It's hard to be patient as an American, but instead we're often more impatient. And really what impatience is, is just forgetfulness, right? We forget that God has given us everything we need in Christ. We're forgetful. And that leads to impatience. And so to grow in patience will mean that we're constantly in prayer, constantly reminding ourselves of truth in God's word, and constantly reminding ourselves that this situation probably won't matter in like five days, much less five years. So we show patience to one another because God has shown unfathomable patience to us. Romans 5.8 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 2 Peter 3.9 says, God is patient toward us, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. While we were still sinners, while we were still sinning against God, Christ died for us. Unbelievable patience that he has shown towards us. And, sh and so we show patience to others. So the fourth and final ingredient, bearing with one another in love. This simply means bearing the burdens of your brothers and sisters. It means taking their burdens onto your shoulders. It means celebrating with them. It also means suffering with them. It means being close enough to them and being close enough relationally that we see each other's needs and that we begin to meet them. That's what it means to bear one another's burdens. And again, we see Jesus being the absolute picture of this. He took care of our greatest need, which was our sin, our separation from God. 
And he not only took care of like part of the problem, he didn't just like shoulder part of our burden. He took the entire thing upon himself, right? He took the entire load, the entire weight of sin upon himself so that we might have the chance to be without sin. And that is amazing. And so there we go, Salt Company. There's our recipe for keeping the unity of the spirit, humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in love. And so we say this, God has made every effort to unite himself to us. So we must make every effort in humility, in gentleness, in patience, and in bearing with one another in love so that we may be united with one another. All right, so this is God's design for keeping unity and God has more of the design to show us. So go back to your Bibles. Let me read Ephesians 4, 7 through 10 for us. It says this. Now, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive and he gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. So some of your Bibles might have some of what I just read bolded. And uh, the reason for that is that in verse eight, Paul is quoting Psalm 68, which was written like, no, I don't know, 30 generations before Jesus came to earth. 30, that's, that's not one three, that's three zero. 30 generations before Jesus came to earth. So 30 generations before Jesus came to earth, King David, who's the author of Psalm 68, is like, yeah, I'm gonna call that. And he totally does. He totally calls it that Jesus will die, but will be resurrected. He totally calls it that Jesus will beat Satan and his demons. And he totally calls it that as Jesus ascends to heaven in victory, he's going to give gifts to people in the family of God. What kinds of gifts is he talking about though? Let's keep reading. So this is verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. So what this says is use those gifts for yourself, right? No, but more on that later. All right. So what we're actually seeing in these verses is diversity. We're seeing diversity within unity. And so what I want you guys to know from this is unity does not equal uniformity. Unity does not equal uniformity. God wants us to be unified with one another, but clearly we don't have to be the same in order to be unified. In fact, God has set it up where we're different from each other. I mean, I look around and I see roughly 250 to 300 different faces in here. You know, people with different talents and passions and personalities and desires and preferences. In fact, Revelation 7, 9 it says that every nation, tribe, tongue, people, and language, that's gonna be the picture of heaven. It's not just gonna be a white heaven, an American heaven. It's going to be every tribe, tongue, and nation, and language glorifying God for the rest of eternity. And so it's always been the design of God to have diversity within his family. All right, so not only do we have these differences in, in personalities and appearances and passions and desires, if you're in Christ, you've been given unique spiritual gifts. As if Christ hasn't done enough, you've been given even more. You've been given spiritual gifts. What are some of those gifts? Well, this says some are gonna be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And so we see five of those here, but we, in the rest of scripture, we actually see more examples like 
administration, discernment, exhortation, giving, healing, uh, hospitality, knowledge, leadership, mercy, speaking in tongues and wisdom and a, and a ton more. And so these are all spiritual gifts, gifts from God. And so I want us to notice something else in our passage here. It says, some pastors and teachers, some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists. So there's two things that I want us to know here. The first one, none of us have every gift. None of us have every gift. Some might not have more than one or two, but it, and it's totally fine because it's totally down to God's grace in his gifting of us. It's him who gives the gifts. And then number two, the Bible as a whole commands us, commands all of us to act obediently in some of these gifting areas, even if they're not like our particular gifting. So let me explain that a little bit. So this says that um, some will be evangelists and yet all of us are called to share the gospel with other people, right? All of us are called to, to share the gospel with others, to, be, to do the work of the evangelist, even if that's not our particular gifting. Another example is all of us are, even if it's not our particular gifting, all of us are commanded to show mercy and hospitality and grow in knowledge and wisdom. As children in the family of God, we are urged to figure out what gifts we've been given. Why? To build up the body of Christ. And so, as I said earlier, why has God given us spiritual gifts? Is that to serve ourselves? Is it to make ourselves look cool, make it seem like we have the better gift? No, not at all. He has given us gifts for the solitary purpose of others, loving others, serving others, building up others to help in unifying the family. That is why he gave us gifts. That is why he gave you gifts. But because we're selfish, this can happen. If we're selfish with our spiritual gifts that God has given us, man, unity is gonna crumble. Or how about this? If you want to see unity struggle in the family of God, keep thinking that you got the short end of the stick with your giftings. Keep thinking and wishing uh, that you had the gift of somebody else and watch unity in the body suffer. And guys, I've been here. Don't make the same mistake I have where you're just so concerned about the giftings of others and how they're doing so well with those giftings and you lose sight of the giftings God has actually uniquely given you. Don't make the same mistake that I've made. And actually in a different letter to another church, uh, Paul addresses this exact problem of insecurity and jealousy. So let me read this for us. This is 1 Corinthians 12. The body is not one part, but many. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as it is, just as he has wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. God has put the body together so that there will be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. This is God's design for your giftings in the body. Silly question for you. How many of you thanked your gastrocnemius today? Anybody? Show of hands. 
How many of you thanked your gastrocnemius today? How about your uh, rectus femoris? Anybody? No? All right, well, you should have because you wouldn't have been able to make it in here tonight without those two leg muscles. Okay? So sure, they're not, the, they're not the heart, they're not the lungs, they're not the brain, they're not the ears, but they are crucial to you doing one of the most basic things, walking. And guys, many of us have the gastrocnemius spiritual gifts, the gifts that maybe aren't as flashy or don't get noticed or, or thanked or praised or whatever as much as some other ones. Yet these gifts are crucial to the body of Christ. God has made you in a certain way in his image with certain gifts so that you can do your part in bringing unity to the body and serving the body, the family of God. And so I'm telling you, don't make the same mistake I did and have. Don't get distracted by Satan's lies telling you that God has shortchanged you. I'm telling you, he hasn't. That's bull crap if you begin to believe that. It's bull each one of you has giftings that are needed and necessary in building up the family of God. Figure out those gifts and wield them for the sake of serving others. Not yourself, serving others. I think if we stopped being so self-centered and self-seeking with our own giftings, making it all about me, 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 we'd begin to see God's beautiful design for diversity within the unified body of Christ. All right, let's read the last part of this passage. So this is verse 13. Until we all reach unity and the faith and the knowledge of God's Son growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness, then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper work, working of each individual part. So in this passage, we have the ingredients to unity. We have beautiful diversity within that unity. And now we are seeing the outcomes of unity. So as we learn and grow together, we begin to look less and less like people who are easily manipulated by tossing waves and blowing wind. And again, I want you to remember what Ernie said last week. We're to be like the redwoods, intertwined at the root with one another so that when the wind and the waves come, we will not be uprooted. We need each other. And redwoods take a while to grow and mature, right? But they, they grow up inseparable from one another. And so what we're seeing as the first outcome of unity is maturity in Christ. Unity leads to maturity. The second outcome we see in this passage is more joy in Christ. So these verses say that as we speak the truth in love to one another, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. This is saying, don't worry about your giftings. Use them, figure them out, serve other people with them, but Christ is the head. He's the point. He's the one. He is the only reason we can be united as a family in the first place. He's the head. So don't worry about your gifting. He's the one that gave it to you. He gets to say what you do with it. And the reason he gave gifts in the first place is that so we get to enjoy more and more and more and more and more of him.
So friends, as, as I close and the band comes back up, I, I want us to, to go to another passage of, of scripture and, and see what this, this unity put on display looks like when it's going really, 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 really well. So we're gonna be in Acts 2. You guys can flip there if you want to. If not, just listen as I read. But this, this passage in Acts 2 happens after Jesus' resurrection. He gives some of the last commands to the disciples and then he just goes up in the most awesome way into heaven. And it's not long after that we get this story here. So in Acts 2, we read, they, the early believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. How sweet is that? Let me read that again in case you didn't catch it. I'm running out of breath because this is just so sweet. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And so Salt Company, we see our last outcome of unity here. Many being added to the family. As we come together as the unified family of Christ, it takes the attention off of us and places it firmly onto who it should be on, Jesus. As we come together as the united family of Christ, we begin to want to add to the family. We say, oh my gosh, if you don't know Jesus, come and taste and see. Come into the family. See that the Lord is good. Come in and enjoy this with us. Guys, I saw 1917 the other week and I couldn't help but tell everything that moved about that movie. I was just so captivated by its beauty. And in the same way, how much more it should be with the gospel. Man, it's just so good. I wanna welcome people into this family. Our world needs us, our family, but they really need Jesus. They need that kind of community, but they really need Jesus. As we come together as the unified family of Christ, the world watches and it says, I want some of that. I want what they're having. Salt Company, we should want to welcome as many people into the family as possible. God has made every effort to unite himself to us so we must make every effort to be united with each other, making moves towards those who are not even in the family yet. We're not called to simply tolerate the world as we live as one big happy family. Why? Because God did not just tolerate us. Jesus left heaven to come to earth, to be brutally tortured, to become your sin and my sin, to be separated from his father, and to be killed on a Roman cross so that God the Father could unite himself to us. Man, I pray that that humbles you to the point that you have no choice but to throw your hands in the air and say, sign me up. I get it, the gospel is beautiful and I need you, God, and I know my life has to change and therefore, how could it not? How could my life not change? It is worth my labor to be unified with others because you have gone yourself to great lengths.
to unify yourself to me. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for a sweet time to to open your word and to learn from it, to have our lives changed by your word, which says it is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces to the division of our souls and our spirits, our joints and our marrow. It judges the thoughts and intentions of our heart. God, what you're saying there is your word changes us, and we are so grateful that you have the mercy and the grace shown to us in Christ that we can be changed. God, I remember my old life and I don't wanna go back. I wanna be a part of the family. I want you to be able to define how that family looks. I want you to tell me how to live because I've proven time and time and time again that I suck at living my life for me, making my decisions. No, Jesus, I I wanna live according to your word. So I pray for that heart, for all my brothers and sisters in this room. I pray that we are propelled and compelled by this word that, man, we wanna add to the family. And yes, our family's messy. Yes, we don't always have all of the ingredients of unity. God, help us labor hard for that. Help us to reconcile with others whom we have not yet reconciled with. And I pray that our family is one worth joining, God. Let us not waste another minute. Let us go to people that don't know you, Jesus. We all know them. And let us attempt to win them, not just into the family, but to a savior whom they need more than anything else. God, thank you for your mercy and grace to us. Thank you for the gospel. We love you. Amen.